Hello, dear listeners. Gosh, it feels like a lifetime ago that I released my last episode. Not because it was that long ago, but because the world was so different then. A little less uh, apocalyptic. Back in the old pre-lockdown days, we thought that the rising fashion resurgence of far-right politics was as bad as it was going to get. And that is bad. Don't get me wrong. Horrifying, even. But little did we know what 2020 had in store for us. And boy, was I naive. (laughs) In my New Year's Eve episode, I actually thought it was safe to say this. Let's just hope that next year is better than this year. It's a low bar. Come on. We've got to cross that, right? Fuck. Was I ever wrong. Well, considering what we're going through now, I hope you're all doing okay and uh, washing your fucking hands a lot and not hoarding toilet paper and, most importantly, staying home. Unless you're an essential worker, in which case you're an unbelievable hero and I just can't thank you enough. I cannot imagine what you must be going through. Your bravery is keeping the world going right now. So thank you, thank you, thank you. But even for those of us not on the front lines, even then, I honestly still can't believe what we're all collectively living through. And I dread to think of what effects this is going to have in the long term. I worry for my relatives in Pakistan. I mean, if a place like Italy was hit so hard, how are they going to manage it in Pakistan? I don't know. As a parent caring for a tiny little fragile person, I find myself anxious so much of the time. And just the uncertainty of it all is, it, it's tough. As I'm sure you're all feeling it too, parent or not. And it's important to strike that balance between trying to stay informed and trying to get your mind off this stuff. So here I am with a distraction. I have an absolutely fantastic panel coming right up. We had some great laughs and I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did and that it helps take your mind off of things going on. Oh, and uh, please note that this was recorded three and a half to four weeks ago. So do keep that in mind when listening. Things weren't as serious then. It was just as we went on lockdown here And right after that, my life was a little crazy for a while, trying to adjust to our new routine and figure things out. So it took me a bit longer than usual to edit this episode. That said, if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting via Patreon. This is sadly more important for me to say now than it ever has been. Real work and massive amounts of time goes into these episodes, and a lot of people seem to scoff at the idea of content creators being paid for their work. Since I'm a freelancer that isn't getting any other work in these times, and understandably, I know, I know everyone is struggling these days, fewer people are looking for graphic designers and fewer people are able to support at the moment. And I get that. But if you can and you enjoy the show regularly, please do consider it. Because I'm not sure how sustainable the podcast will be after the next couple of months. Uh, I mean... We'll just have to see how things go. And you know, 
I saw someone on Twitter recently comment on a YouTuber's Patreon plug. They were just doing a regular plug and this person said that it was insane and disgusting that they would even plug during these times. Obviously, the person commenting so harshly was not someone whose income depends on content creation, so I think sometimes it's hard to understand, which is why I bring it up. And I mean, content creation is important too. This is the stuff that's keeping us all entertained while we're stuck at home. (laughs) So don't knock it. And I mean, it wasn't even a very pushy or sleazy, overly promotional, gad, sad type of plug or one that was exploiting the COVID situation or anything. Just someone plugging their channel and saying that if you'd like to support, here's the link. But this other person was seriously disgusted by it. And uh, I was a bit taken aback. There are some people who are self-employed in this way. This is like their entire income. And even though my Patreon isn't huge or anything, even that little income is significant in a time where other income is impossible. It's like any other business having an ad. Unless someone is exploiting this pandemic, that's different, obviously. And yes, there are plenty of pandemic grifters around and they're gross. But yeah, I thought I'd mention that. Anywho, back to the topic of the day. Whiteness. What even is it? How is it relevant? And is it mean and rude to talk about it? Well, you're about to find out. In a world that is currently dealing with COVID-19 specific racism that is fueled by the American president, racism with real consequences, where Zoom lectures given by POC professors are being hacked by internet Nazis, where domestic violence is skyrocketing as a result of lockdowns, where the far right has been using this pandemic to stoke hatred against Muslims, where vulnerable minorities are harder hit than anyone by this disease because of various things like housing situations and even access to jobs where you can work from home, what type of transport is available to you, whether you can afford a car or not, how often you are exposed to risk, and so many other such factors. And this is the same world where wealthy one-trick ponies like Dave Rubin can go on Fox News from the comfort of their homes and bitch about the quote-unquote imaginary concerns of progressives like race and gender and sexuality that apparently just don't seem to matter in this pandemic anymore. Jesus. I mean, they actually matter more for some of the reasons I mentioned before. In this reality, Peter Bogosian and James Lindsay are using this fucking global crisis to force their anti-SJW takes into discussions about the virus. Like, everything is about evil SJWs for these grifters. Some people really, really, really have no shame and uh, absolutely no new material. The world could be collapsing around them and they still can't find new material because the left has made it impossible to say the n-word any longer that's disgusting it's a farce it's the only word that you can't say in the english language all of the things that he's talking about in the manifesto i'm afraid they just can't be dismissed you have a lot of people on the left who are prepared to let white women get raped by muslim immigrants i mean there are there are there are people who are prepared to be raped themselves uh, you know, the 2011 census identified people who call themselves white British on the census as a minority in London. 
minority in 23 out of the 33 London boroughs. It's why all the demographic projections from across the continent um, show Europeans, uh, I think, not to overstate it, losing the place they had to call home, mm -hmm. or at least becoming a minority in it. If some of your best friends are black, you're white, and some of your best, best friends are black, let's just track the meanings of these words, right? Best friends. Just how racist are you going to be? Do you think white people act like this? White people are meant to be polite and respectful to one another? And you guys can't even act like white people? It's really, like, amazing to me. Make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects. And uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host Ina. Keeping it non-controversial. All right. Welcome to panel 22 on whiteness. There's, um, of course, the academic definitions, but what do we understand whiteness to be when we hear it talked about? That's what we're here to discuss today. And we've got a great diverse panel here to discuss it, though I considered not having any white people on, <laughs> to be honest. Um, <laughs> to, you know, to stay true you to... need the a voice for the marginal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, see, I wanted to stay true to the style of panel you'll often see on diversity with just white people discussing it. So <laughs> that's why I wanted it to be the reverse of that. No, I'm, I'm joking, though. I do want to hear, very much want to hear um, the white perspective on whiteness. So, <laughs> and look, look, guys, I don't have anything against white people. Just going to put this out there. Some of my best friends are white, even. <laughs> but let's but, you know uh, yeah in, in all seriousness i agree with you uh white people need to be having discussions about race so thanks for including us i mean <laughs> that's how white people are going to get better right hopefully <laughs> that's right yeah jokes aside we should um definitely have this discussion across the board but let's introduce this panel now we've got uh Chrissy Stroop, who's an ex-evangelical writer. Hi, Chrissy. Where can people follow you and check out your work? Hi, Ina. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm currently a senior correspondent for Religion Dispatches, so I'm writing for that website regularly. I'm also a regular contributor to uh, The Conversationalist, which is a pro-democracy outlet. And um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm kind of a Twitter personality, I guess. I'm at C underscore Stroop. We've got a celebrity. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but hey, please buy my book, Empty the Pews, Stories of Leaving the Church, co-edited with Lauren O'Neill. Awesome. And we've got Eamon Ismail, a Muslim feminist podcaster for Slate. Hi, Eamon. Hey, assalamu alaikum, everybody. What's going on? Oh, man, you just triggered me. I'm sorry. Should, should I start, like, doing the shahada real quick, make you guys all Muslim? <laughs> yes, please convert us to Islam before we begin. <laughs> uh, this yes. is this is my secret plot. This is why I invited you on. 
so that you can convert the panel that is half white from now on that's pretty much halfway there (laughs) now wait a minute i had some muslim in-laws for a while uh and they eat pork and drink vodka all the time yes it's a spectrum it's a spectrum (laughs) i mean in the end it's like it's between you and god so you know everybody's kind of just doing their own thing which sucks because then when you have like terrorists, it's hard to be like, well, they're not Muslim because it's yeah. like, well. Oh man, that's a whole other Muslim. panel. Amen. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, One of the things I'm always uh, harping on is that the Christians that people don't like for obvious reasons are not fake Christians, you know? Like, yes. It's, I think it's absolutely horrible to be so, like picking who's Muslim and who's Christian and only the good people are Muslim and. The, the bad people are not really Muslim. Same goes for Christians and Hindus, yeah. and of course. I, I just did a great podcast specifically about how various interpretations can all simultaneously be correct uh, on my podcast called Man Up. So, yeah, if you guys want to find out more about me or see more of my work, you could just go to slate.com slash man up. Or if you want to know more about the Muslim-ish, uh, you could check out Who's Afraid of Amin Ismail, which is my video series, all about what that experience is like in America. And then, last but not least, <laughs> drum roll, please. We have Vadim Newquist uh, representing oppressed cishet white dudes everywhere. Hello, Vadim. Hello. Uh, how are you? I'm very pleased to be here to represent the only group that it's it's still okay to oppress and marginalize. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, you know, it, it just. Uh, I, I just want to tell everyone it's okay to be white. No, I don't want to do that. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is a hor- horrible way to start out. Um, Who are but, you, Vadim, uh, first of yeah, all? Yeah, but my, my name is Vadim Newquist, and I, uh, well, among other things, I run a YouTube channel called Creationist Cat, although we, we, we are going to be rebranding at some point, and I believe the the, the title, this is, this is kind of a scoop here. I don't usually say it because... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's probably going to be Hey, it's Vadim because that's my my name on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Vadim Newquist or search Hey, it's Vadim, or you could follow Creationist Cat. Although I post much more as myself than I do CC. Um, the the Creationist Cat channel features both of us, and it's very bizarre. So get ready <laughs> for a ride if you decided to click on that channel. That's my intro. And thank you for having me on. I look forward to this discussion. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I can tell already. <laughs> um, Peter Bogosian is crying somewhere into his pillow because this panel is diverse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so how are you guys doing? Um, it's, You know, it's, I'll just be honest. It's a little weird with the whole corona and stuff going on. A little waked out by that. And, oh, uh, it's super weird. Um, so, so yeah, that's uh, just being entirely honest. Shit's weird these days. <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's really fucking weird. I'm pretty creeped out by it as well. Here, the schools are closed. Most workplaces are like switched to work work from home, and the streets are empty. The grocery store shelves are empty, and uh, yeah, it's very weird, creepy times. I don't know because. You know, there are a couple of things that have been canceled that I was really looking forward to, uh, including American Atheist Convention in Phoenix, but also like local events. And um, yeah, it's a bummer. Oh, boy. Okay, well, the reason I wanted to do this panel right now is like, as you know, 
as everything is just coronavirus 24-7, I, I figured it's nice to have a distraction and talk about something else. I, I find myself seeking out content to take my mind off of it, you know. Even though I'm watching a lot of news and trying to stay informed, sometimes I just need a break, you know. So you came to us instead of, like, cat videos. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hey, don't, don't badmouth cat videos. <laughs> I love cat videos. So whiteness... What is whiteness? I mean, there's the academic definitions. One I was just looking up before we started the panel is, let me just read it out, and then we'll talk about what our like understanding of it is as lay people, I guess, what, what people think of when they hear whiteness. Here it says, whiteness is a set of normative privileges granted to white-skinned individuals and groups it is normalized in its production slash maintenance for those of that group such that its operations are invisible to those privileged by it, but not to those oppressed and disadvantaged by it. It has a long history in European imperialism. The meaning of whiteness is historical and has shifted over time. For example, Irish, Italian, Spanish, Greek, and Southern European peoples have at times been raced as non-white. And there's just pages and pages and pages of definitions that are kind of around this but you could just go on reading what it means but what do you i i think that a lot of people hear it especially anti-sjw types and then they hear it and they think it's like replaceable with white so when you talk about whiteness being bad they take it to mean you're saying white people are bad. Yeah, totally. Well, to people who don't really analyze these things very closely, just using the term whiteness, what have you, can be off-putting to people. People don't understand kind of what people are getting at and that they're not like blanketly saying like, hey, all, all white people are terrible. People aren't understanding, yeah, what is meant by it. Yeah, completely. I mean, I don't know. I do have a PhD, so I kind of like the academic definition. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But it's just like, it's hard for everyone to absorb that definition and, you know, take it in. Oh, sure. Mm. I mean, that's why examples are definitely important. And I mean, as as a white person, you know, to understand privilege, to start understanding privilege, when... Um, Friends of mine of color started to bring it up, and they gave me um, uh, unpacking the knapsack of um, white privilege. I think it's called by right. Peggy Peggy McIntosh. I know the book you're yeah. talking about. So it's like a classic, um, you know, academic article in this field, but it does give a lot of really concrete examples of what you, as a white person in a white-centered society, can expect, and how you get to have privilege, you know, versus what people of other groups. Uh, don't experience. So, you know, you're in the majority most of the time. You never have to worry about seeing yourself uh, represented on TV or in the media mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, I think that if you, you want to get white people to understand this, um, concrete examples will help a lot more than just straight up abstractions. Yeah. And so when you were first, uh, when someone talked to you about it or gave you the article, did you find yourself being defensive? You know, I, I mean, I, I don't want to say I'm a saint or anything. I will say that, like, internally I was defensive yeah. and uncomfortable. But, like, I was trying to be cool, right? So I was like, oh, sure, I'll read this. And and I did. And I started to see that, okay, yeah, got to sit with some discomfort here. It really is different, you know, being a white person versus being someone who's not white in the United States. You know, even if you come from the same basic socioeconomic background, for example, 
they're just different experiences. Mm -hmm. And so certainly over time, like I've become much more comfortable with these kinds of conversations, uh, learned a a lot from friends of color and colleagues and started trying to do some uh, anti-racist work. But yeah, there was a lot of discomfort at first, particularly with like sweeping statements about white people. And I definitely wanted to go like, hey, not all white people. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, like I, I had an encounter with a friend recently and it was extremely shocking to me. This is a friend made later in life. So, you know, we haven't known each other for a very long time, but it just came up and she was trying to act as if she's not really a Trump supporter, but just dropping it like, you know, I'm not, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. And, you know, what's actually so bad about what he did? There's not, I can't see anything wrong with him. People just make these broad statements about him. And actually it's people that support him that are, you know, treated so poorly and unable to voice their opinions even without getting targeted for it. And just feeling very sorry for her, her, <laughs> herself and Trump supporters and just denying being a Trump supporter at the same time, being completely gaslighting. And we're in Canada, so it was very shocking that she would uh, put herself out there for Trump like that in the first place, right? I haven't really come across anyone seriously supporting Yikes. Trump. What about his here. insults to Justin Trudeau? I mean, he's a he's a beautiful no, white she person. hates Justin Trudeau. <laughs> she hates Justin Trudeau, so uh, which is fine. They, like, a lot of people dislike him, but... It's rarely to support further and further right-wing people in my circles, right? So it was very surprising to me. Not only was she just supportive of, like, Canadian conservatives, but she went further. I don't like that he's handsome, does yoga, and knows physics. I'm just putting that out there. It's annoying. You should drop one of those things. I have to say that being a consumer of of garbage uh, right wing, just just because I don't know, it's it's part of what I critique on on my channel. I, I watch a lot of um, you know just horrible right wing YouTube pundits. I mean, not just YouTube pundits, but I do, I do want to say that there is it's 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 a pretty common thing to discuss Justin Trudeau as if he's this like crazy commie you know just just like incredibly far left dude and uh yeah yeah he's not i know at yeah, all. Like, he's, he's like he's, he's neolib to the fucking max but um yeah i just i just wanted to point that out yeah i mean you know i mean american right-wingers do the same thing about every democrat so. yeah but anyways <laughs> so when she was saying like you know what's bad about trump anyway anything that i would point to her she, she just dismissed or excused the sources being too left-wing or whatever, whatever. Children in cages, no. Is that really happening, Muslim ban? Oh, I don't even know about it, but is it? Like, is it that bad? Uh, you know, just really ridiculous excuses. And then she kept saying that these are broad statements and not specific things. And I was like, I'm pointing to specific things in news articles and you're dismissing all of them. I was like, maybe it's just, you know, that you come from a place of privilege when viewing these things and trying very nicely to explain to her that we're viewing them very differently because I feel threatened by these things and you don't. And she was so offended, like, when the concept of white privilege came up, like, I was the cruel one to even point it out. Like, is that what you think of me, she said? And I I just, I couldn't, I was so shocked. Like, is that... 
offensive to say, like, that there's privilege? Like, are some people, some educated, well-traveled people in so much denial that I mean, it, should, it shouldn't be, right? But this is what we call white fragility, which which protects yeah. that privilege and it protects that invisibility. Yeah, and that's why, you know, so many like Saji Waspy families are really bad at open conflict and super passive aggressive. And that's also true of like low church evangelical Protestants like I grew up as. Don't do conflict. It's really, mm-hmm. it's you just try not to do open conflict. It makes everyone super uncomfortable. Even just disagreeing. Unless you're doing like pro-Trump open conflict, then you're going to go all well, out. Yeah, then you're not then you're not expecting anyone to oppose you unless it's those horrible libs. Yeah, so that was my like that was kind of a shock to me, and that's why I wanted to just touch upon this subject and just talk about it because I just I didn't expect it to happen to me. Yeah. My friend being all sensitive about white privilege and uh, defensive of Trump and. Yeah, what do you think, Amen? What's it like being Muslim in Trump's America? Yeah, I mean, in- first of all, it's kind of funny because <laughs> it's like it's not that different than being Muslim in Bush's or Obama's America. It's just that maybe people are paying really? a little bit more attention. Yeah, I mean, Romney hmm. had that really funny joke where he was talking about the Muslim ban and how the Muslim da- ban was a day of horror for all Muslim Americans. But he was like, yeah, but I got cast in like this really dope commercial and he had like a really good day that day. So I think the point of that joke was that as Muslim Americans, we don't see ourselves as directly the most vulnerable people in Trump's America. I mean, there's like ice rounding up immigrants. Maybe our family members aren't allowed to come. And there's that sense of group suffering uh, when you're a Muslim. Mm. But at the same time, you know, we're talking about white people accepting their privilege as a muslim hyphen american i also gotta like accept that amount of privilege too so yeah of course when compared to like muslims uh from other people, parts of the yeah, world muslims right? who were in iran or you know or muslims who are helping the united states fight the taliban in iraq but can't come to this country because of racist policies you know uh mm-hmm. so yeah i don't i don't want to mope and be like oh it's so terrible this fucking guy he says islam hates us uh but at the same time you know i live in a very uh hispanic and black community here in newark new jersey and there's several ice raids like all the time here now where we see people round round up in these vans so i can't help but feel like a very privileged person in those circumstances but to like to your point in the story that you were talking about earlier and, and not being able to see each other as humans or on the same side because i think that's really what it comes down to is that uh, as white people as if you, you know it or not like you do have this ingrained racism and it's whether or not you you like it or not but you can't say that you don't see race you need to acknowledge other people's experiences as being maybe inherently different than yours and so that brings up another question of equality and how much should people be compensating for that and how much guilt should you feel and it's like, well, you do your part to make the next person next to you a little bit more privileged in their own right. And yeah. Right. This whole um, not seeing race and being colorblind yeah, is just, yeah. it's, a, it's a very 
uh, it's an all lives matterification of the problem of racism, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, it totally is. Like, just shove the inconvenience, shove it out of the way. Why does everything have to be about race? And let me just interject quickly. Like, I grew up as the sort of white evangelical Protestant Christians who want to be respectable. Respectable. Um, respectable is not a word, but I kind of like it. <laughs> I like it, yeah. It sounds. Uh, <laughs> let's make it a word. But anyway, um, so what they, what you know, they're they're no longer comfortable being openly racist, right? And of course, there's a whole history to where, um, you know, they they shifted along with the Southern strategy from actually overtly supporting segregation. Like Jerry Falwell Sr., he preached sermons against the civil rights movement, insinuated that Martin Luther King was a communist, and so forth. Like, you could totally do that into the 1970s. And then it got, you know, it got to be not respect respectable. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm tripping over a perfectly simple word. Um, okay, so anyway, that's when, you know, they all shift to abortion, which becomes kind of a an interesting fetish and kind of a nice placeholder for protecting white privilege, you know, you think that you're protecting these unborn babies, which unborn babies, not even a thing, but uh, that's the terminology that they use, you know, and you can maybe even really strongly believe that you're opposed to abortion on these um, moral grounds, but that politics serves to protect white privilege by voting, by, by generating votes for the people who work to uphold you know the old white supremacist mm. order and so in those circles yeah the language of colorblindness is like what is the kind of language that they use there's even an old like annoying contemporary christian music rock song by michael w smith called colorblind and i used to love it because i was a dorky kid in the 1990s <laughs> in, the, in these christian communities you know it's totally it's all about not seeing race and that's as far as they're willing to go, you know, white evangelicals on the whole, which are America's single most right-wing demographic on, on every front. I mean, by a lot of measures, you can objectively say, yeah, they're definitely racist people. Uh, but they will deny that they're racist until they're blue in the face. And then, you know, like my most Trump-supporting uncle, they'll, they'll turn around on a dime and say that Black Lives Matter are a bunch of quote-unquote thugs you know, and pretend that that's not racially coded. Right. At the same time, people forget that sort of things, things have shifted wildly. There's, there's so few people out there who are racist, who are um, willing to kind of fly that flag in the same way that people felt comfortable doing back in, you know, just, just 20 years ago or less. And, you know, so, so people, they some some people are subconsciously racist. They don't they don't they don't realize it. And then there are all sorts of people out there who realize, okay, uh, I'm going to lose some social cred if I just come out and kind of, you know, wear the wear the KKK hood and and, and all that shit. <laughs> and uh, you know, they 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 subvert. They 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 still have a mask, but it's it's uh, you know just kind of more metaphorical. So, Interesting. Um... Yeah. Yeah, and and just the last thing I'll say is just people. There's so many people out there who will point to people and just say like, "Oh, they can't be racist. They're they're not saying I hate n bombs and, and you know and and just just very overt stuff." And yeah, right. So, so you're uh, basically saying that the uh, power levels are not as obvious as before, and that's how things have shifted. Like it's become yeah, more coded, exactly. and 
Yeah. Um, interesting example just came to mind, if I may, just really quickly. Um, you know, the have you all heard of the Curse of Ham theology? No. Okay, so this is no. real quick version. This is very racist um, Christian theology that was used to uphold a slaveholding. So it basically says that when Noah's son Ham, you know, saw his father father drunk after the flood, and then like went and told his other brothers. He got cursed, and the curse turned his skin black. And oh, um, so, you know, the people of African descent uh, descend from Ham, and the curse included the phrase, lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. Therefore, slavery is biblical. Um, in one Bible class that I had in a middle school, Christian school, uh, I would say that I sort of got curse of Ham theology light. Like, it wasn't totally spelled out, but you got the implications. Um, but now, if you go to a place like the Creation Museum— uh, Ken Ham's ridiculous outfit in mm-hmm. Kentucky, you know, mm-hmm. which I happened to do last May. You know, they've replaced all of this with um, blaming the Holocaust and slavery on atheists, and then of course they also have a bunch of stuff about abortion. And it's this total like colorblind approach to saying we're not racist; it's those atheists who are the real racists. Mm. Yeah, they love to do that. Wow, I didn't even know about that curse of Ham stuff. That's scary. Oh yeah. Uh, I just wanted to add one quick one quick thing before we moved on is, that, you know, just to uh, make sure that people who are listening don't only expect racism to look like someone dropping an end bomb. I mean, there are really subtle ways that racism can su- surface. Uh, like, for example, if you're jumping onto the bus and, and someone black or somebody else walks right past you and you, need, you feel the need to check your wallet hmm. or any of these kinds of things, that yeah. that isn't a form of racism because the person who walked past you probably noticed you grabbed those things. And so even though you're not explicitly jumping into this person's space and like wanting to kill them or hang them from a tree or anything like that, you're still having this sociological impact on this person and they're going to carry that and maybe internalize. Right, so. exactly. And that's uh, another thing is that being a person of color, even if you don't experience that overt racism, there's always like you have to question if some experience went bad or if you didn't get a job interview, you always wonder, is it because of my name on my resume? Is it because of my skin color? I was treated that way. And you never know. So it's carrying that around with you. It gets heavier and heavier and more and more exhausting to deal with. Right. Uh, I, one of the first journalism pieces I ever did was back in like 2013 and they were constructing the new Freedom Tower. And so I wanted to make it as a photographer and I pitched doing a photo essay of the, the new tower. But what made it interesting was the fact that I was a Muslim person. So I was documenting my anxiety. Every time I saw a cop look at me, I was questioning whether or not they saw me as a suspect or anything else. And uh, I was on a different uh, skyscraper at this time with a huge tripod so I had this big long case and I didn't mm. want to take a picture all the way downtown and there were these three cops that approached me and they wanted to see what was in my bag and I, I was so eager to get the tripod out that they thought it was being like too quick and too frantic and then that suspicion escalated and it became like a whole scene yeah. when really all they wanted to do was just to check the t- to see the type of tripod that I had because a certain type wasn't allowed on the on the deck. But in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my God, they probably think I have X, Y, Z in my bag because I'm a Muslim person hmm. and I have a beard and whatever. So 
I'll never know if the only reason they checked on me was because of what I looked like. Mm. Like, like we were talking about, I'll never really know. But also the way that I was internalizing that racism, expecting mm. them mm-hmm. to come and look for me, expecting them to be looking for like a bomb yes. or a gun. Like that is also like, it's anxiety ridden. It's, it's a, a way weight on you. And to be free of that would be really uh, a, an advantage, I think. To constantly second guess your experiences, wondering what's happening or you know why something is happening, even if ultimately it's not because of racism, just that constant nagging in the back of your mind, it's a weight on you, I think. And just to go back to the general definition of whiteness and what people perceive it as, like me, I think of it as just like a majoritarian mindset right? Like that's something that could be transplanted if I'm in a Muslim majority country on like, say, Sunni Muslims, you know, like how amongst Muslims we all talk about, oh, Muslim men, whatever, whatever. And they also get very sensitive or Sunnis get very sensitive or like in India, you know, Hindus, the way they treat minorities over there, Muslims, the way they treat minorities over there. That's how like, that's how I view whiteness and oftentimes you see people with privilege power get very very sensitive and it's not unique to white people it's ju- it's just describing that majoritarian mindset i just really wanted to emphasize that absolutely i think it's yeah it's important to to hit that and to just realize that uh i, th- I think to, to sum it up a lot of human beings are just they're horrible, um, and, and and I mean, not not any, uh, of course, not any group exclusively, um, just just it generally. So so uh, you know, it's it, it's a cliche, but the whole um, a- absolute power corrupts absolutely thing is is just it's a cliche because it's true, and so yeah, any any group I think that has some sort of institutional power is going to be prone to at least at least some people within that in-group is going to uh, kind of have these biases and and um, you know it's it's not going to be as great for those who are not in the in-group yeah. Uh, this also seems like a good time just to bring up uh, Crenshaw's concept of intersectionality, because in sort of any given sociological situation, right, uh, there there are different aspects of one's identity that bring uh, privilege or marginalization, right? So mm-hmm. you know, which should um, be another panel in itself because of how much it's misunderstood and misused by a lot of people. But do go mm-hmm. on. Yeah, so I mean, you know, I'm I'm white. I've always gotten white privilege. Uh, I didn't even understand myself to be a trans woman until I was 33, partly because of that fundamentalist upbringing, which really messed me up in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, I always felt often different, but I couldn't say how. So I would say I got a lot of male privilege in my life as well because I was perceived mm-hmm. that way. And it is interesting, though, to see that change now as transgender women are one of the um, most marginalized mm-hmm. categories but particularly transgender women women of color are far more likely to be victims of violence than the uh, general population because of marginalization trans women are also uh, you know they have a very high suicide rate um, but yeah I can see some things start to change now with the way that I'm treated, um, just the most obvious and probably stupidest example is that I keep getting in trouble on social media for showing my boobs. 
For showing your boobs. Oh. Yeah. Well, like on I which wanna, social media? Not so like, Twitter? I want to track, track my progress, right? Oh, well, I have tweeted it sometimes, but because Twitter is literally my bread and butter, I always put little uh, emojis over the nipples, which no, but, are totally, Twitter is fine totally with, illegal and obscene now. Is it? I thought Twitter was fine with like... You know, oh, Twitter, Twitter is very arbitrary about that, but I don't want to get flagged as like, you know, mm-hmm, my mm-hmm. posts having adult content and then getting shoved down in the algorithms. But anyway, no, Instagram, um, I got, I got an, I, I keep getting warnings from Instagram yeah, and then just today. So like, so like on Facebook, like I only posted this in a, you know, merge, uh, it's called a, well, it's a group for margenderalized people. That is people who are marginalized by their gender. Mm. It's a secret group on Facebook. I posted this for like body positivity and Facebook algorithms found it and were like, if you post shit like this again, they didn't say shit, uh, we could ban your account. You know, like this was it's just weird for, that like uh, in a secret group pedophiles <laughs> are out there like making Facebook pages like of school age looking children and it's disgusting, but like you know, a trans woman that can't make a post for body positivity or even like a breastfeeding mom can't post a picture of of nursing her baby. It's so strange. I'd like to tell Maybe sometimes it seems like a kind of frivolous example, but like topless inequality is a real, I mean, it's it's, it's seriously a serious example of patriarchy and male privilege. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when it... When it gets really hot, uh, I think in Toronto you're allowed to be topless, but I'm pretty sure that's hasn't always been that way. Um, I just want to say real quickly that the only time be I've quiet, ever been... Be quiet, Vadim. Oh, God, okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, um... go on, go on. <laughs> I'll, I'll just listen. Yes, that's um... what you were brought here for, okay? Know your place. <laughs> I, I am listening, guys. I I just want to talk a little bit. Okay, um, just a little I, bit. I had uh, the only time that I've ever been banned from or temporarily banned from Twitter was literally I was I was arguing with a Nazi and I'm not uh, like using that term pejoratively like they they had like Hitler quotes and just I mean all all, all the flags flying on their Twitter. And and uh, the last the last thing that I said to them in our exchange was, okay, see you later, uh, honky cracker or, or cracker honky. <laughs> and I got I got I got a twelve hour ban for calling a Nazi a, a, a cracker honky. That is so ridiculous. And I even know, as someone that is you know of the same group, of course, algorithms and stuff can't detect these nuances, but. It's funny, I bet you didn't get 20 Quillette pieces written about how it's okay because of free speech or Sam Harris crying about, you know. How Not they- yet, <laughs> holding out for it, expecting it any day. Yeah, if it were the N-word, you'd get a lot of people rallying behind you, maybe a Ricky Gervais retweet. Or, <laughs> but if you said something bad to a Nazi, oh boy, that's the only real slur that exists. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Let's not forget to be civil with Nazis. We have to be civil with Nazis. In fact, only with Nazis. You do not be civil with SJWs and feminists and Muslims. In fact, they need to learn the hard way. Another Otherwise, perfect example of how white privilege works in practice, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, since we were talking about you know algorithms and all of that, I came across this funny example. So they used... AI to make interchangeably diverse covers for books like Secret Garden even. 
And Secret Garden, if anyone has read it, is is about like a specifically uh, racist kid that grew up in colonial India, and it has passages that are incredibly racist, and like they're just yep, making I sure like I did not know that as an eleven year old kid, <laughs> <laughs> and they're just making like you know just these feel good little you know diverse covers with like you can pick you know what race you want the character to be on the cover and just like these generic diverse covers and look at like let me read some of the passages that were shared like if i'm i'm shocked right now by the way i did not know because i've 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 only seen film adaptations of the secret garden and there's there's actually Actually, several that are beautiful. There's, yeah, there's yeah. one really like semi-recent one by Ignacia Holland. I think her name is. She, she's a foreign film director. But, but yeah, that's that's really shocking to me because I, I mean, clearly they took all of those elements out of course of, yeah. of, of the film and. Um, and I, uh, yeah, it, it that sucks to know now. But I'm glad. I, I guess uh, I'm better to know than than being in the dark about that go, well, go look, on to an extent right things written in a different time are going to be you know yeah. racist and bigoted and sexist and i'm fine with that like that's our history i don't think we need to erase those things but it's just ridiculous when you're making characters in those books diverse because you're not really thinking about it like it's like a band-aid solution that's not really you know you haven't like you're just using ai you haven't put any human value any human thought behind it right so here's an excerpt mary listened to her with a grave puzzled expression the native servants she had been used to in india were not in the least like this they were obsequious and servile and did not presume to talk to their masters as if they were their equals they made salams and called them protector of the poor and names of that sort. Indian servants were commanded to do things, not asked. It was not the custom to say please and thank you, and Mary had always slapped her ayah in the face when she was angry. And then there is, um... Mary did not even try to control her rage and humiliation. You thought I was a native? You dared? You don't know anything about natives. They are not people. They're servants who must salam to you. You know nothing about India. You know nothing about anything. Now imagine, <laughs> because AI is not uh, picking up on these things, imagine being a little kid that picks a nice, sweet, diverse uh, cover and uh, picks this character to be brown, and then you come across Mary being like that. Holy it's, shit. Uh, <laughs> very <laughs> fucked up. I don't know. Very I, fucked I, up. I, I, I wrangle with this because I wonder like how young you should be exposed to that kind of stuff because you do eventually. No, I don't have a problem with it existing. That's what I'm saying. It's part of our history. I don't think we should hide it from kids. My problem is with these thoughtless attempts at diversity, right? And to me that comes under like these, uh, I guess, whiteness because <laughs> to me that, that seems like a problem stemming from this majoritarian mindset that we've been discussing that ha hasn't put enough value into this like diversity is not something to just leave to ai mindlessly to just change the color of the character on the book cover yeah i hear you there's there's a lot that can be done to get more poc writers and authors published 
Exactly. And, and maybe there's more work that could be done in distribution where like now there's book tours for, for people to like show up and rally around. And also to like protect the ratings because I know that's like a new form of like Nazi offensiveness where they just go on and, and zero rate to hell any book that like ends up on their feed that's not super white. But, you know, yeah, I agree with you. It, it seems like they're responding to the backlash rather than trying to actually take the step to, I guess, It just seems very superficial yeah. and not, you know, genuine. Yeah. So I also wanted to share some video clips with you guys. Um, I had some interesting Rogan and Mar video clips to share. Yay! Very relevant. So here's a clip of Mar and Rogan discussing race and how bad it is to judge people by their gender and by their race and in the context of judging white guys, not others, which I found really funny. Ridiculously dumb when they don't realize that that same sort of strategy is going to come right back around at you. It's like people that think, they, oh, that guy's pissing me off. I'm going to go fucking punch him. Well, guess what? He's going to punch you back. Like this is this is not it's not that simple. When you, when you if you go around judging people based on their gender and their their yeah. color and their race, guess what? They're going to do that to you now. Like uh, this is it's it's I, a I terrible wanted, strategy. I wanted. So here they are talking about you know how white guys are constantly being criticized, um, you know, for their gender and their race and being singled out. And it's funny because he says, you know, if you do that to them. They're going to do that to you. Mm. And like, why do you think people are criticizing white men so much in the first place? <laughs> you know, That's the bully weird. always says, stop making me hit you. Yeah. Uh, trying to reverse the role of victim and perpetrator is, you know, a, a classic, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Characteristic of abusive behavior. Yeah. It's, it's just amazing to me that they can see this in the context of when it affects them. But when it comes to discussing race, racism, sexism, it's like, oh, SJWs are being way too sensitive. And that's what Mar and Rogan base a lot of their content on. So it's, well, it's funny to see it, it reversed. It, it's insane to me because uh, it's just like so many of these people who um, create this narrative. And, and sure, there are people who sort of fit into this category, not saying that there aren't, but so many of these people want to build a narrative that there is, the, you know, that the left is is nothing but screechy, uh, overreactive people. And they, they want to magnify that. But so many of those same people are actually incredibly fragile. It just will freak out over over stuff. I guess I'm just going to throw out there that, you know, because I think that this is is one of the uh, things that, that I maybe have a little bit of insight into being a white dude. It's like so obvious to me as a white guy that, you know, that the level of privilege that I have, that doesn't mean that every facet of my life is going to be awesome. But I like it's it's just incredibly obvious. And like every now and then, maybe I'll experience a little bit of what I would call bigotry from from random random people on the Internet. But that's that's really it. Like I've never in my life 
truly felt oppressed. I mean, I've, I've, I, and it, it's because those who have thrown any level of hatred towards me, like, I don't know, I, at the, at the end of the day, like there's no power system that really is, is there to like punish white people. And, you know, at, at the most, it's just. The IDW yeah. would disagree greatly. <laughs> I know, I know. But, you know, I mean, I think it's I think it's important to kind of name some of these things because we've talked about white privilege, but there there are like kind of tactile ways that 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 you can kind of things that you can point to and and that, that just kind of make a, a great argument that that white people uh, have a certain amount of privilege, like the fact that a white person, um, one, is far less likely to be apprehended for the same crime that that other uh, marginalized groups are. And then if they are on trial, they have uh, far less of a conviction rate. And and once they, if they are indeed c- convicted, they uh, their, their sentencing is often different. They usually get less, less sentencing. And you're talking about people who have the same sort of record in, in, uh, in the studies that, that, that I've read. So I don't know, maybe I'm kind of shifting to a bunch of different things here, but, um, yeah, I just, in spite of the fact that I know that some people are, are bigoted within America against white people. Like I've, I, I think that it's, it's greatly overblown. And then just, I, as a white guy have never felt like threatened by it. Um, it's, it's just at, at most it's just, a little annoying and then I move on and I don't really get that much of it. So that's so important. Right. It's also the difference between having someone personally bigoted towards you versus like a system that is exactly working against you. Right. Like systemic racism is much more harmful. Yeah. I got a story just perfect for this because I'm really glad that you, you, you made a distinction between punching up and punching down because like I, I, I mean, the example of these two white guys talking about how annoying it is that some people are upset about white people being racist is itself an example of white privilege. Because, like, could you imagine yeah, yeah. that being newsworthy is like a bunch of black and brown people coming together being like, yo, there are some people who don't like us. Do you Can you believe that? And have the, like that be the discussion on primetime is crazy. Uh, yeah, so f- for me, I, I've always kind of been bullied for, you know, for being like the one Muslim kid. Uh, that didn't really bother me. Uh, I didn't. I don't really consider any of that to be like real racism. The first time I feel like I experienced real racism was in a courtroom. You know, when I was being arraigned for for a very minor trespassing case. You know, and trespassing. I don't know what it is in Canada, but in the U.S. it's a, it's a misdemeanor. You, you get a ticket for it, and then they send you home. Uh, hmm. But for me, they set like a two thousand dollar bail. And I had to wait, um, what? you know, like in the in the jails underneath the courthouse. And then when when you go to get arraigned, what what you do is you kind of just need to stand there and listen. You can't talk. This so is what did you do for examine. this? It was if trespassing. I, I, I took a picture on a bridge and put put it on the internet. But I was on top of the bridge, so it's like you you, you can't take that picture without, you know, trespassing. So that was the case. Um, oh my gosh and they put you in jail for that yeah for like i think the maximum amount of time that you can hold someone before you get arraigned so it's like 36 hours you're just kind of sitting there waiting to see a judge but this is when i felt totally like less than human when the judge looks at your paper and looks at you and then makes a ruling and this guy said you know what this is your first time 
So what we're going to do is we're going to set $2,000 bail and we'll we'll have you your case and you're going to wait in Rikers Island, which is like the most violent prison in New York State. And what? they were like, we're going to send you there for months to wait. But if you ever get caught doing this again, we'll deport you. And I was like, oh, my God, it dawned on me. I was like, this is he literally just looked at my name and looked at my face and made, a, and made a call. You, but aren't yeah. you? I was born literally less than a mile away from the courthouse. So like, what happened then? So he just assumed that you were deportable? Yeah. And that's that's basically how he made his ruling. That's how he decided I was going to have to pay bail. That's how he decided they were going to do all of this, you know, in response to me trespassing. I later found out that when they wrote the news story. You're not allowed to say you cannot deport me? You're not allowed I mean, to say yeah, that back you, to him you, like I'm not, American? Yeah. They kind of have the folder and they make the ruling and then they shuffle you out and shuffle in the next person. Like it's quick, Fuck. you know. Uh, and I read in a newspaper article about this, the bridge that I climbed that they apparently had talked to terrorism experts and the terrorist experts suggested that if I wanted to, I could have blown up the bridge or something like that. And so oh my God. then it's all like what? kind of dawning on me where I'm like, oh my God, like I'm just, I can see For myself as a sophisticated human who likes a certain kind of music, who likes skateboarding, who likes, you know, playing basketball, watching sports. But then the second I'm in in that kind of power situation where I'm the powerless person and someone who's powerful is deciding what to do with me and they have a split second to judge it. That's really when I felt like the most dehumanized. And I feel like that is something that if you are white, you're just never going to experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That one dimension. You know, a white kid would have been sent home with like a stern warning. Hey, don't climb any more bridges. I, yeah, yeah, I did have a co-defendant, somebody I did climb up with and he was white and he got sent home. So like, <gasps> There's oh, no shit. denying it, you know. So, Did you go to Rikers Island for that? No, my, uh, I, I was working at a magazine, and the editor-in-chief ended up scrambling and getting the bail and bailing me out that night, right when I was on Chain Gang, meaning if it was 30-minute difference. Oh, my so, God. I am so sorry you had to go through that. That <sighs> sucks. But, like, that's the thing. It's like I don't feel that shocked by it, you know? And that's how I know for a fact that – White people just live in a different world, you know, because yeah, like, that's he, shocking for them. Um, I, you know, as a kid who grew up in New York City, like everyone except for like the extreme goody goodies would jump the turnstile uh, at the subways. I mean, everybody. And, it, you know, at least until they got caught one too many times. And um, everyone would eventually, well, generally everyone would eventually get caught and you would see people getting caught all the time. And I always, I mean, both both from my own personal experience and then watching others, because it was just a very common thing to see people getting caught doing it. And I don't think I ever saw a white person, even once, like really handled uh, extremely violently, whereas the, the majority of the time, if somebody was, you know, Hispanic or black, they would just be patted down. They'd be often thrown against a wall, just, just I mean, treated like like garbage. And uh, I know maybe things have gotten a tiny bit better, maybe not, but um, it's still like, yeah, it's 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 garbage. Um, and, so, um, and and like I, I don't see how people who grow up in in like big cities like LA and New York can't can't see these sort of in advantages that white people have 
You know, speaking of uh, subways, I lived in Moscow from 2012 to 2015. And um, I think in a lot of ways there, um, you know, Muslims are maybe less of an other than they are in the United States, simply because there's such a long history there of coexistence. And there have always been a lot of minorities um, in in Russia. And yet, you know, they're same, you see the same kinds of, of patterns. Uh, Religious get... minorities, you mean? Because yeah, I know they're well, not nice to LGBT folk. No, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a racialized religious minority. And yeah, Russia's getting worse on a lot of fronts. And it's funny because I figured out that I was trans in Russia at like the worst possible time. But um, <laughs> Oh, wow. Anyway, just even there, though, um, you know, the Muslim population, and it's generally a racialized Muslim population. You know, we're generally talking about brown people. Um, there are some that you know could pass as white, but like might not be regarded by Russians as white. And also, as long as we're talking about this, it's a bit of a like uh, digression. Forgive me, I always do that as an academic. But you know, the word Caucasian comes from the Caucasus Mountains, and it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. The, the people of the Caucasus Mountains, though, um, I think many people over here would consider many of them to be white, like Georgians or Armenians you know, they would be, they would, they would be white in America, but in Russia, in many cases, they're not considered white. But um, anyway, so, you know, you have a lot of Muslims from Central Asia and the Caucasus mountains. And um, even though you like, don't bat an eye, just seeing this large Muslim population of Moscow on the street every day, uh, when I would take the, the Moscow Metro there, their subway system, I mean, I would often see people getting arrested and it was usually brown people. I can't even really think of a time I saw a white person getting arrested in the Moscow subway system. I can tell you that when, uh, when we fly, my, my family and I would book extra time because we knew that we were going to get stopped for screening, you know, for like the random. Oh, yeah, yeah. Time. Us too. Us uh, yeah, too. So we, we'd, our flight would be like at like 3 p.m., for example. We'd say, OK, we've got to get there an hour ahead because we have bags. So let's add another hour because of traffic and one more hour for screening. And then we should be good. This is not directly comparable at all, but I have just started to have some of the problems with traveling while trans that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I confuse TSA agents now because, you know, they have those little like male, female buttons on their side of the scanner. So like, Oh, so if they peg you for a female, but then you have like, you know, something comes up in a place that they're not expecting. Right. Um, you end up with people like the worst I've had so far, and this is white privilege is, you know, a male TSA agent and a female TSA agent looking at each other weirdly and then saying, we don't know which one of us should pat you down. And like the pat down. Do they ask for what you prefer? They just, that's all they said. And then I just kind of mumbled like, uh, I don't care (laughs) because, you know, I guess that they were sort of asking that I could have chosen, but anyway, um, so that was like a bit weird. And mm-hmm. yeah, the, also the, with bathrooms, some airports really do not do well with like the family bathroom or gender neutral mm-hmm. bathrooms. Um, and I always just sort of try to sort of pick the one where I think I'm least likely to confuse or freak people out. But um, yeah, see, that's a privilege that I think that the rest of us have and cannot even imagine like the stress yeah. of that. That must be. A lot of times I'll go into a man's bathroom because I think that if men see a woman in their bathroom, like in a very public, like crowded place, there's no danger of being raped, right? Like they're not going to freak out as much Mm -hmm. as what if someone in a woman's bathroom perceives me as a man. But um, I mean, this like awkward in between place, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. 
I, a lot of people do recognize me as a, as a woman now on site. And so like, I've seen, I was like coming out of a men's bathroom. I've seen like this old man look like absolutely shocked and look around like, am I in the right place? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry you have to deal with that. Um, Thanks. I mean, yeah, yeah, I gotta use the bathroom. (laughs) That, that really sucks. I, 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 gosh, I, I hope this isn't like too, um, uh, like, I don't know, uh, forward a question, but does that um, kind of exacerbate your dysphoria to have to to deal with that issue? Or do you, uh, like, just are you able to kind of, you know, not not get flared up by that? I mean, I'm a real open book about these things. And I mean, I guess I would say, yeah, some. It's a, it's a real source of anxiety and i and and i've never felt right in like all male spaces and i've never been able to i mean mean, until i was 33 i couldn't really put my finger on why i just didn't you know and so now it's like yeah i don't like going into the men's bathroom but i also feel high anxiety in a woman's bathroom because basically i just don't want anyone to see me and think like i'm in the wrong bathroom (laughs) yeah that's really stressful i mean i feel anxiety just having to go to a public bathroom and I, you know, when you really need to pee or something to add that stress on top, like when you're rushing to like find a place to pee in sounds just horrible. It, you know, and I, I don't have a problem acknowledging that, you know, I have a privilege in that. So I try to put myself in the shoes of people who have other privileges and then they get sensitive about acknowledging it or like, you know, jokes where people make jokes about straight people, you know, just like, it doesn't bother me because the world is geared to cater to us. There's nothing threatening about some people making jokes about, oh, straight people they're so <laughs> dumb or whatever, you know? So I just can't understand when you're in a, in a white majority part of the world what what is so threatening about some people maybe even going overboard and saying like fuck white people or fuck all white people I don't like to talk like that um but I if I was in that majority position I also wouldn't find it so threatening that I would make my entire career about it <laughs> or like become this like IDW Quillette-esque person where this is something that I fear monger all the time about where like anti-white racism is the biggest threat in the world. Calling Black Lives Matter like a terrorist organization or comparing it to the KKK like these I, I cannot even fathom and these same people if it came to like you know, Muslim majority countries, they could immediately see like if Sunni Muslims in a position of privilege were to punch down on say ex-Muslims or Christian minorities, these people would immediately rally around, not because they care about minorities, but because they dislike Muslims enough. (laughs) And they would use the same arguments, right? That would be considered to SJW to use against white people in a white majority part of the world. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm with you now on like, if someone says fuck white people, you know, I'm not really going to be bothered. I'm going to, you know, see that as the uh, valid expression of anger at systemic racism um, and something that needs to be expressed and processed. And see, I, I don't, you know, I don't like it. Right. I, I prefer that people just, it's it, not it, helpful, it is bad, especially optics. to the cause of anti-racism. I mean, you know, it's not great for people to like stay in that place, but I will hold space for people to pass through that kind of space. Hmm. When I see it, 
I mean, most of the time, it, I, I guess I can't fully know, but most of the time I assume or from what I can see of their, the, these profiles, these people are not viciously racist. They're, you know, they're, they're just conveying a frustration with the system and whatnot. And so I see it. And like, like you, I, I am not, um, I don't feel really that attacked by it yet. At the same time, I look at it and, and I think, oh, that's bad optics. I wish that there weren't as many people saying this because this helps create the narrative that, you know, the false narrative, I believe, that white people are so oppressed and, you know, we're the only group that's it's now acceptable to um, marginalize and and all that that BS, which I joked about earlier. But um, yeah. uh, Or like even the fuck all men stuff, right? It's not Mm -hmm. my kind of feminism or my kind of tactic. I, I, I think it's ineffective. But really, I find that people who dwell on these things, especially people in those positions of power, uh, very snowflake-like and um, just they're nutpicking often because it's not as common as they would make it seem, you know, to have these absolute absurd uh, statements like fuck all men or there's that one person in like a it's a white person but wearing like an outfit that has fuck all white people printed all over it like again and again and again like I would see that outfit and I'd roll my eyes and just laugh at it like <laughs> you know I don't yeah. think it's helping anything but it's a white person expressing whatever I I don't know why are people so threatened by it it, it also like lets them change the conversation in a really unproductive way which really sucks you know because yeah. like especially when we're talking about the right wing and the the men's rights activists type like their favorite thing to do is dodge the conversations about oppression and systems of oppression by focusing visuals, in on these like yeah. really colloquial hyper local events of yeah yeah exactly i don't know yeah that's what uh, vadim was talking about the bad optics right and uh, this is where this hashtag it's okay to be white comes in where mm-hmm. on the surface it seems like which is weird enough i guess someone saying you know it's okay to be insert group already in power um but it's a lot worse than what it appears to be just in writing so i'll let you take it from here the um it's it's a really ridiculous meme and it's absolutely designed to just again create this narrative that there is this um, contingent of the left that is just out of touch and and totally uh, just screechy and and whatnot and I think it's very important for people if they're going to engage with with those sorts of memes to kind of know how to to do so or, or, you know, just not, not to overreact, not to, uh, I, I personally, I think the best, uh, way to, to deal with it is, is to just make fun of it in a way that, uh, does not engage with it. For instance, are you guys familiar with this kind of putz, uh, Count Dankula? I am. Um, oh, well, I, I, I envy you. Um, he's, he's, an, uh, he's an online personality. And and you know what? Um, he's, he's one of these weird people who I would say uh, is it 
I, I don't think, although many people do, I, I don't think he has genuine enmity for uh, other races and whatnot. But yet at the same time, he just spreads a lot of memes and a lot of bullshit that just, you know, really do help those who are trying to spread those memes. And, and, he, and he recently posted, a friend told me to say, psst, it's okay to be white. Can you just explain the background of who he is and how he came to be this oh yes free yes. speech guy sure so he he basically um, posted a video where he had his pug give like he trained it to do uh, a Heil Hitler salute and to to, to the um, verbal command of gas the Jews. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it got viral and it was removed and he was then, I, I think, taken to court in, in, uh, Britain and fined, I think, $2,000 for it. And he became kind of a, uh, poster child. Wasn't it like 800 speech. pounds? I don't know how much it was, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't an extreme amount. I don't yeah. think he probably spent way more on his uh legal defense if he if he hired a lawyer than he did paying a a fine uh but that's how he became kind of a darling of of the in my opinion the largely right-wing uh free speech free freeze peach because i don't know i don't think these people are genuinely for free speech they just get really uh riled up about instances where they feel like their freedom of speech is is being curtailed but um anyhow it, this this guy he posted psst, a friend told me to say uh it's okay to be white and i responded with was that friend richard spencer and <laughs> he you know and, and and he started trying to chide me into saying it's okay to be white along with tons of his followers i looked at so many of these accounts so many of these accounts are gripers i don't know if you know the term griper but that's basically like a uh, an alt right paleo conservative catholic uh group that um are, are getting gaining popularity on the internet these days total, total racists you know and um and and yeah, the, these people were just incensed by the fact that I would not play their game and say it's okay to be white, and and they'd say like like oh you're 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 obviously anti-white. What's what's the big deal about saying it's it's anti-white? Just say it. And I'd say like oh it, it's okay to be Betty White. It's it's okay to, <laughs> it, it's okay to listen to Barry White. Um, but you know I just I I, I refuse nice. to actually say. It's okay to be white. I, I said. I, I said. Oh, it's. I, I, I. You know what? Hey, it's. It's. It's kind of pretty nice to be white. Um. You know. I. I. I just. I wouldn't say the actual thing because they. They just. They want you to say it so much, and it's so fucking funny because again, they're doing this to create this. This narrative of a certain portion of quote unquote woke people being just fragile and just, you know, being totally overreactive. But these people will just piss their pants if you highlight how um, just just stupid they are. And very quickly, I I uh, I have a tweet exchange from. Um, are you guys familiar with Paul Joseph Watson? He's 
a um, the lovely Infowars dude. Yes, he's 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 a British former Infowars ah, yes, respondent. Former. Um, oh yeah, and, I'm a huge uh, respondent. And there's this hilarious a- account on on Twitter called Crang um, T Nelson, and here he is. This is an exchange between the two of them, and this is just a perfect example of how um, these people can can just be so. Um, fragile. So, so Paul Joseph Watson says, "Hey, directly to Krang T. Nelson. Hey, Krang, psst, it's okay to be white." And Krang says, "Yeah, that's why I'm comfortable with jokes about it, champ." And then Paul Joseph Watson responds with two tweets. The first one is, you're a pretentious vice tit who's trying to ingratiate himself with the Twitterati. And you will. They're all self-loathing whiteies, too. And then he says, and <laughs> Wait, then he what's says, a vice tit? Uh, oh, because he works for Vice Magazine. Um, yeah, I, I, I forgot to mention that. And oh, then, sorry. I'm thinking like, yeah, you know, and, there's like the tit in chief. And, and, <laughs> that's yeah, what I was yeah. thinking, too. I, I, I can see how that would make absolutely no sense if you, if you didn't know that. And then, and, then, and then Paul goes on to say, please keep demeaning and insulting white people based on their skin color. It worked really well for you guys in 2016. Carry on. So it's just it's just so funny, you know. This guy is he he clearly said that to agitate Krang. Krang didn't give a fuck, and then when he didn't give a fuck, Paul Joseph Watson just had a, an aneurysm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, PJW is the one going on about snowflakes being too sensitive all the time. It's, it's absolutely you know, these guys are the biggest snowflakes of all for sure. I mean, what they're really pissed about is that the whole world is no longer their safe space. Exactly that. exactly that and um speaking about white White guilt guilt and white white shame um i have another bill maher clip for you guys to check out and comment on hooray so awesome lately he Uh. has been lovely (laughs) (laughs) not a letdown at all There was a study done last year where people were asked to rate their feelings about various races, and white liberals were the only group that has a bias against themselves. They want to hang out only with people who are not them. That's like your mother preferring the neighbor's kids. There is a weird self-loathing going on among white liberals, and it's not helping anyone lifting up those whose society has cheated or forsaken, that's liberalism. Hating all things white is just tedious virtue signaling. And one more clip from the same thing. But black folks are not asking whites to always be flagellating themselves because it makes everything awkward. Awkward. It puts the burden on black people to absolve you. It's really... It's... It's... It's really asking black people to, again, do something for you. Forgive me. Absolve me. Recognize that I'm one of the good white people. Jesus. Haven't black people suffered enough slavery? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So, thoughts? Uh, uh, Surprisingly, on that last one, he actually has a point. It's framed weirdly. But, you know, I mean, some white people, I guess do put too much emotional labor onto people of color to like, you know, proclaim that, okay, you're a good white person. But do you think he's being genuine in that when you hear like his other, other parts of that clip? Or do you think he's using like a woke 
thing to sort of just say don't shit on white people. Oh yeah, it's ironic wokeness. Yeah, I was gonna ask you like who who is he talking about? Like who's out there hating everything white? White liberals apparently. Are they? <laughs> like if you you know suggest that like there's a problem with whiteness, that's that's what that means. That's I mean that's ridiculous. Yeah. So basically, these people are you know mad about what I think they're mad about is like you know just the general discourse and articles like listicles and BuzzFeed you know. Right, things like wrong when somebody says, or right. I don't know, things like yeah, that, yeah. you know, like when somebody points out that the Democratic Nas- National Convention is going to basically be like all, all white, white guys, exactly. Like, yeah, like I've seen people point that out and say that that's an example of racism, but I think that comes from just like a fundamental misunderstanding of what racism is. Like, yeah. so, so here's my here's my my big qualm with this is that when we're talking about how to include more people and diversify a space that might on the surface seem like you need to disadvantage one group in order to uplift another. But I think when one group has already been advantaged forever and you're just trying to break even, like does it become less noble because you're trying to level the playing field? Like, I don't know. Like you could argue, and I've seen this argued in, in like POC circles is that, you know, we don't want people to give us handouts. We don't want anything for free. We just want dignity and we want to be able to to be ourselves, not be tolerated, but to just be ourselves. And and I love that di- distinction. And I, c- I think that Bill Maher is kind of scratching that surface, but I think it's coming from a place of bad faith where he's sort of demonizing left, left-leaning liberals in the same way that the right wing is. And it just well, gets messy. It's like an oversimplification <laughs> of everything. Yeah, it's weird. He's like that liberal for right-wingers. It's become so increasingly obvious over the last few years where he's just there to serve the purpose of shitting on the left most of the time. And that's why so many right-wingers think he's like the only good liberal out there. And that's really what the IDW is doing as well and also the beginning of Dave Rubin's why I left the left shtick and uh, I mean it's become a well-known grift at this point right do you think it has anything to do with the fundamental fact that there's like all these different definitions for what equality is and none of us seem to agree on what that means like is equality everybody has an equal opportunity right now or does equality mean we need to compensate for slavery and we need to compensate for like hundreds of years of bad policy well more than that i think it's people having different definitions for when it's their group and different definitions for when it's an out group you know what i mean like if you were to tell bill maher that you know muslims are going to be compensating for their injustices to atheists or uh christians or whatever minorities that they've mistreated in in pakistan say He's going to understand that. and He's not going to say, like, why? Why are you judging Muslims like this and not all Muslims? Right. But when it comes to white men, he's not going to understand it. Right. And yeah. uh, what creeped me out about this um, white guilt shame segment is that it, it gave off a very hashtag it's okay to be white vibe to me. 
Vadim, did you kind of sense that too? Yeah, absolutely. And he, it's 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 a little weird with Mar, just because I guess maybe maybe like most of us. I mean, I know you have this uh, history with him that that there was a time when I rather liked Bill Mar. Yeah, me too. And so. Um, for a while, I've I've wondered, you know, are is is this guy kind of consciously exploiting these? Like, does he know that? Is it a cynical thing? Like, he knows that this will play well with people, so he he perpetuates these narratives for that reason. Or is he just a genuinely ignorant guy who, uh, you know, just kind of misunderstands these these situations and. I'm leaning to the latter, um, but I, I just, I, I just, yeah, don't I know. think but, he's but, but, just yeah. defensive. He's just a defensive, privileged white guy. Yeah, and his own defensiveness comes out in these segments, right? I mean, there is an element to to him that I think is genuinely disingenuous. Um, I mean, it's it's a little off topic, but like for instance, in the last election cycle, he was totally pro Bernie, and this time around, I I think because of the fact that he recognized that Bernie had a genuine shot, he was all for Klobuchar and trying, you know, just trying yeah. to find these these centrist candidates. So so I you know I do think that there are examples of this guy being absolutely dishonest. But when I hear him talk about race rela- relations, I agree with you. I think that it it comes from this privileged place. And it is very, it's okay to be whitish. Uh, although I, you know, I you have to distinguish, I think he's one of these people who doesn't realize how destructive these narratives are. And, and uh, like, you know, it, it, it's not great that he has this point of view, but I, I, I don't think he realizes like like, like his intention. Because some people who who say these things, their intention is obviously to uh, create confusion and and just um, prop up white people and 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 whatnot and 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 make those who um, are kind of sympathetic to being more diverse and all that look look bad but I, I i think he i don't know i i'd like to think that he is doing these things these shitty things without the intention of of like propping up i mean that that is the result don't get me wrong but i don't think it's like maliciously hateful um yeah like i don't think he understands it's like a white nationalist dog whistle to be overly concerned about Mm -hmm. whites Mm -hmm. especially in this political climate where white nationalism is going mainstream it's really quite frightening to focus on oh will somebody think of the poor whites and why are so many white people complaining about white people can you guys just shut up already you know but this brings me to the question, like, when it comes to discussing Muslim extremism, you know, I'm sure Eamon will also be familiar with this, like, there's endless talks about what extremism is, and even within our communities, like, how, you know, what makes someone an extremist in the Muslim community. But we don't really discuss what white extremism is and what the margins of that are. You know, like, we can have a Muslim that 
has some pretty extreme beliefs, but they're not, you know, overt supporters mm -hmm. of ISIS, obviously. So yeah, when it comes to whiteness and white extremism, is that a thing? And what, what do you think that is when it is in the mainstream? Is it in the mainstream? I mean, it generally gets point. another um, adjective, right? So like white nationalist extremism, um, white Christian extremism, you know, um, is there such a thing as white extremism? I mean, I guess I would say, sure, that, you know, that's that would be something you could call uh, any sort of overtly racist ideology um, or even just overtly racist actions, perhaps. But, yeah, it's interesting. We tend to be more specific there. I mean, white's not a religion and Islam is a religion, so maybe it's not a, like a totally no, apples, like, apples to apples ex thing. Extremism isn't just a religious thing, right? Oh, no. Like, you can be an extremist on behalf of communism, for example, which some sure. people would argue in that case, you know, becomes kind of an ersatz religion. And I'm somewhat sympathetic to that. But sure, it doesn't have to just be a religious ideology. I think, it, I think the point that I, I'm just trying to make is that there's this, uh, I think, reflexive empathy towards, like, victims of generalization when they're white. Like there's this desire to distinguish themselves from other kinds of white people. Then we get into the like political factors and the the regional differences and, and everything. And and especially when someone commits like an act of, of pure evil, right? Say someone white goes into a mosque and kills forty people, like we saw in Christchurch. You know, there's this this I guess this already predisposed idea that there's the there's already enough to distinguish Bill Maher from that terrorist. Of course. And, and I'm sure we can probably go in and find, like, maybe they they see some similar whatever. But, you know, when someone Muslim goes and shoots up France or, like, what we saw, there was this huge call for, like, the moderate Muslim response. And even if Muslims are on TV or on news or on the internet sharing their horror and also sharing the fact that they also were the victims and there's Muslim victims of these terrorist attacks too – it sort of doesn't get met with the same level of empathy. You're almost less inclined to believe a Muslim person if they were to tell you that they have nothing to do with that kind of perpetrator and that you're generalizing. Rather, if you say that this person who murdered uh, Muslims in Canada, even though they visited Ben Shapiro a thousand times, you, you can't really say that they, they share any kind of um, you know, ideological traits. Even people who are like, you know, hanging out with Ben Shapiro, saying he's a good man, uh, sharing his ideas, even if they denounce the shooter, those people are not even considered extremists. You know, for example, the IDW, I think they spread some pretty harmful, dangerous and extreme white identity politics. And ironically, they're very anti-identity politics. Well, of course they are, because, you know, that way they get to be the only ones playing the game. And, they'll and that's, not uh, you know, whiteness again, right? It's that privilege, that blindness that you get to have. Everybody else is doing identity politics. My identity is just default. So that's not identity politics, you know? I think there's like <laughs> almost exact quotes of Sam Harris saying stuff like that. You know, you'd think it was a parody or something, but no. He thinks everybody else is doing identity politics, but not him, because he doesn't have any identity. He's just the default. But whereas the recognition as well, right? Like, so if someone in my circle or someone on social media that someone I knew knew, someone in the comments was Muslim and sort of denying 
that Islamic extremism was a problem or defending, making excuses for. Um, just like how, say, Sargon maybe, I think, did about the Christchurch shooter, Sargon of Akkad being a YouTuber, um, saying that, you know, what he did was horrific, of course, uh, but he he did have legitimate concerns about, I don't know, immigration. I don't even remember. I may, I may be getting this example slightly wrong. Vadim, do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I can't remember the details, though. I know he did do some sort of, like, weird... Uh, apologetics, ap- apologetics, right? Apologetics for the guy, yeah. I mean, personally, you know, the replacement, I, 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 replacement ideology, I would define as extremist. You know, someone who absolutely. supports that or defends that. I would say that's yes, Douglas Murray. That's Douglas Murray, uh, you know, well-respected British commentator who's like viciously anti-Muslim and basically hashtag white genocide. Best buds with Sam Harris, um, you know, doing all these massive venues, you know, having great gigs, n- no cost to himself. He's, I find him to be an extremist and it's, alarming to me that he can get away with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, you know, you sit, you sit down to dinner at a table with 12 Nazis and there are 13 Nazis at the table, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially if you're not ar- sit there to argue with them. If you're I, there to not along with them. Is it okay um, to go back to um, a point you, you made or a question that you asked a, a, about like five minutes ago? Cause I no, some- Vadim, not you. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, go uh, on. Go on. It's not okay to be white. Um, Definitely but, uh, not. Uh, yeah, it, you asked, like, you know, do you think that these things are bleeding into the mainstream, and more or less? And the the question is absolutely yes. I mean, you have uh, Tucker Carlson, who, you know, yeah. I mean, that's not going to be a surprise to anybody. That guy. Uh, did a segment on the whole the the whole it's okay to be white thing and he was like you know is 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 the answer it's not okay to be white completely either is obfuscating the intentions of the meme or um or is just an idiot and is spreading them and then um recently i i I saw i think tucker is a white nationalist though yes not an idiot oh totally i mean he is an idiot also also. But yes, he's also an idiot. He's not just an idiot, but he's also a white nationalist. <laughs> there's there's definitely uh, a solid argument for that. But then there, I saw this this example recently that I thought was really interesting because there's this YouTuber, and I'm totally forgetting their name right now. It's it's something donkey like you know crazy donkey guy. It's not that, but um, he's he's actually <laughs> he's an extremely successful. Uh, it's not rational donkey, logical no, donkey. No, 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 no. This guy, <laughs> this guy is not not ninety nine percent of the time. This guy is not political at all, and. Um, I actually I know this because I saw someone kind of breaking down a video that he made that is sort of out of the ordinary for him where he was making fun of the hysteria over it's okay to be white. And he he made a video. This person who broke it down thought unintentionally that that sort of, uh, you know, spread the meme and made fun of people who think that. It's, you know, that there's anything wrong with with saying it. 
And this guy, I mean, it, it, he, he has made a, a few videos where he's really dissing um, both racists and, and Trump supporters and stuff like that. So he's, he's not in, he usually just makes pure comedy videos that have no charged political content. But um, this guy does have millions of viewers is every video gets millions of views, as did this one. And so there is a clear example of someone who is not that savvy, who is ignorant, and is helping spread this 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 idea that like everyone who criticizes that meme is just some screechy lefty. And so, yeah, you have both people who I think are thoughtfully, and by thoughtfully, I mean deliberately kind of spreading this meme, like 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 T Tucker Carlson and acting as if it's it's innocuous, but then you also have people who just do not realize what the ramifications of these things are and and buy into that like you know they're they're just idiots they're like oh uh, you know this people are overreacting and this is something that, that we should be making fun of i want to say one last thing which is um one interesting thing uh, to note about these about like memes in general is like a, another reason why people will get will will make fun of these things is because they'll just think like oh come on it's just it's just like one shit post that somebody's writing and you know how how on earth can this be harmful and I think it's important to recognize that these sort of things work in in what what I call like a drop in the bucket effect which mm. is which is that like you know you'll one post it may not really have uh an effect but all these people posting it everywhere you get a, a one drop here one drop there uh, you may get some people responding to it inappropriately and people will will think like oh my god these people are really getting bent out of shape over this 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 thing and those drops accumulate and over time if people don't have the like i don't know the wisdom to really look at how these these memes function they can come to the conclusion oh yeah white people are really oppressed and gonna join the grapers now and and uh just join the alt-right or whatever so yeah i don't know i, I it's a little bit of a mouthful i kind of went on for a while but um yeah, I just I, I think that people are really um, there. There are people who maliciously spread that, and then there are people who just are in the dark about it that are just ignorant. So I think uh, it's just interesting here. You can see in ve another very clear parallel along different intersections of identity in terms <laughs> of the defensiveness of majoritarian identity. So you know you have this impulse to be like, well, it's okay to be white. Uh, because supposedly people are attacking white people. Um, I think you see the same thing when you see municipalities or little groups starting to try to organize straight pride parades, right? Yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. Or uh, men's rights movements. Yeah, yeah. It's all coming from that same sort of defensive majoritarian impulse where you really don't want to see the privilege that you have so that you can keep having it. <laughs> I... Um... Uh, have recently experienced, um, I, you know, I'm not I'm not going to go on about how I, I really, I don't feel that oppressed by this. It's actually a good thing because it allows me to um, just eliminate Twitter idiots very easily. 
but uh, you know, maybe two, three months ago, I put pronouns in my profile because I figured, okay, I you know, I want to be an ally and whatnot. <gasps> and and I can't tell you how often I get people who who will say like, oh, has has pronouns in their bio. Uh, uh, all right, I can ignore you. I mean, they they make jokes about it, you know. Oh yeah, assholes and, love mocking pronouns in the bio. Yeah. These are the people who want to argue for hearing out Nazis even, but gosh, you have pronouns in your bio, you cannot be listened to, not even for a second. <laughs> um, and this brings me to my, uh, I guess, last-ish point of tokenism and uh, people that are willing tokens. Mm -hmm. And speaking from personal experience, I can talk about ex-Muslims and their strange relationship with white ID politics. Like, you'll often see ex-Muslims being embraced by the far right and the right because of their overlaps and um, shitting on Islam and Muslims and their anger at, towards the left because oftentimes the left does not want to engage in those types of conversations so you know the anti-left anti-feminist uh, anti-sjw anti-islam stuff gives them a lot to bond over and so then you see ex-muslims adopting views that are outside of the islam related conversation and just very strange like they become like anti-trans and um, they start spouting weird white identity politics when, <laughs> you know, like I've seen ex-Muslims tweet things like, you know, I've been angrily called by SJWs a, a white person and it's just become like a slur just because they hear my takes and they assume I'm a white person. I'm not. Or like, you know, anti-white racism is it's okay, and so that means that anti-white racism is systemic. Or another one was, uh, shout out to my lily-white um, critics of Islam. Uh, you guys are so brave. And Oh, yeah, your favorite, <laughs> Yasmin. Yeah, yeah. Who, who also <laughs> has tweeted replacement theory, you know. Like. Yes, definitely, and, you know, theories about Muslims breeding and just really gross That's shit. So and, um, she's really one of the worst and not very intelligent at hiding that uh, power level, you know, whereas some will be masking it in better language, I guess. Um, and then we have like Candace Owens, right, who is a darling of many on the right. And we saw Sam Harris uh, argue with her in this, you know, global crisis pandemic. I thought, wow, it's awoken something in him, some decency, right? He like told Candace that her take was shit and maybe she could uh, take that back or something like that. And then she told him to shut up and called him a loser. And it was just mm -hmm. hilarious and glorious. And I'm like, wow, maybe this will push Sam to call out, you know, Dave Rubin, who's been peddling weird shit about uh, you know, super foods and why it's not good to use hand sanitizer, just weird, weird shit. And uh, was it Eric or Brett Weinstein who was anti? David Rubin has been saying that about about the Corona stuff. Well, it's it's the titles of his videos that were put out like six days ago. So I don't know exactly what he's saying in them, but it's pretty harmful from a glance at it. Yeah. Um, and then there's the Weinsteins who are doing what anti-vax bullshit 
and conspiracy bullshit right now. So I thought maybe this is going to push Sam to, uh, you know, show some principles and call out his buddies because he's already made a start with calling out Candace Owens. And not too long ago, he was retweeting in support of her being, you know, being shouted at as being the uh, new civil rights struggle. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, not too long after that, uh, he had called and made up with her, you know? Um, oh dear, Candace, it's so lovely to chat with you. And, hey, you know, after all that public display of getting mad at each other on Twitter and calling him a loser, they all just like kissed and made up. And Gross. it's funny to me because she's such a useful tool for white identity politics. She is, you know, she makes videos about how white supremacy is not a problem, how it's not a big deal, and how the SJWs and the left are the real racists, yeah. and how Those being... Black Lives Matter terrorists. Right, right. And so he, that's the kind of person he's willing to make up with no matter what she calls him in public. Whereas Ezra Klein, who was nothing but polite in his conversation with Sam Harris about... Sam Harris, uh, you know, championing Charles Murray and race and IQ. Ezra Klein was beyond the pale. Ezra Klein was far left and comparable to the KKK. And that was just unacceptable to Sam. But where it comes to useful idiot like Candace Owens, he's willing to look over whatever personal insults she may sling his way. And yeah, so that tokenism is, it's certainly profitable. It's certainly uh, good for you if you have no conscience. And I'm in a position to definitely exploit that. But damn, I just can't. I cannot see my Patreon swell for garbage reasons. So I, I yeah, have a question. it sucks to be a good person sometimes. <laughs> definitely <Yeah>. sucks. <laughs> I, I have a question about when, when it comes to tokenism, because I, I, I think that it's it's really fascinating being a, a child of the 80s. You know, I, I can remember a time when people were far more, um, uh, you know, just uh, hateful towards the LGBTQ community than they are now. And, I, you know, you, you now have all of but both trans and and uh you know gay by tokens with, with mm -hmm. within the the community and it's it's like is that some sort of weird progress at all because you know there was a point and there was a, t a time when these people would would never be able to make a living being tokens with with within the uh right wing community and they do so much damage to the No, I feel like there would always be a space for a gay person that was willing to tout homophobia. I mean, I can't remember a time when there were were like either I mean, uh, until about like the early or maybe like late 2000s, it, it started being a thing where um, both gay and especially trans people could, you know, were, were, were getting paid for saying things like, oh, the, the LGBTQ community has gone crazy. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the only rational ones and, and all this stuff that. Uh, I think there have been so people of color that pander to right wingers like that for a long time. That, that is definitely true. There's but a, there's a joke in the Muslim community that we're all just one tweet away from a, from an oval office visit. All we got to do is just use the hashtag Muslims for Trump and we're golden. 
Mm. You don't want to go there because Trump will shake your hand in this pandemic. <laughs> you coronavirus. Yeah. He probably got it from his Brazilian pals. He may have, yeah. And he's like calling these meetings, getting everyone to stand around him, touching mics, touching people. Like that guy is so fucking stupid in so many ways from the looking directly at the eclipse to, you know, ignoring the dangers of a pandemic. He looked directly at the eclipse. I missed that. Everything that he can do wrong, he does wrong. And speaking of coronavirus, let me just uh, talk about this one take that my uh, one of my favorite anti-SJWs, Peter Bogosian. Ah, yes. I know what you're going to bring up. People may know from uh, These Are Not Nazis fame, like one time I tweeted about his stupid take about can we just have a moratorium on using the word Nazis unless we're talking about 1940s Germany or something. And he came into my mentions. I was using that quote to mock, you know, like an article about actual white nationalists who had like a swastika flag and were sig heiling before they started shooting at people. And I was using Bogosian's quote to like mock his take, right? He comes into my mentions and says, no, these are not Nazis. Like he even denied that those sig heiling, swastika carrying shooters were nazis so that guy um he and also of penis hoax fame i just don't understand what what good it does like even if i happen to agree with him which i don't um i don't know what good it would serve to 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 like basically tone police people i just i don't see what his incentive is i mean i guess it's that he's built a brand off of agitating people to make them feel like they are being uh you know marginalized and or or shit on and and that's that's why he'll he'll do things like that but but hey so much for free speech absolutism right yeah it, it just just why why I, I would ne- like if some Nazi had been rep- misrepresented. Like I, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't care to stand for them, even if. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I, well, I don't why? know where I'm going with this. Well, I feel like the only reason you would care is if you feel a bit sensitive about that and you're a bit empathetic to their views. Then yeah, you care. Exactly. It's all about empathy and being able to see yourself in those people you're trying to defend. It's like why you have people in the Muslim community who are so desperate to defend Islam in the face of terrorism. It's kind of like, I wouldn't say it's the same thing, but, you know, there's this instinctual reflexive defensiveness that comes when you identify with the perpetrator or with the oppressor. But I see, I would recognize that as troubling and kind of bordering on extremists. And, and, and many people do when it comes to the Muslim community. This is, you know, this is what I'm going back to, like, what is white extremism, right? So if, if I knew someone uh, on social media who sort of expressed sympathy with a, sh- with a Muslim shooter who, like, killed someone uh, for opposing the blasphemy law, say, and or expressed uh, hatred towards a Christian minority that was, uh, you know, unjustly put in prison for blasphemy accusations or something like that. I would recognize that as very troubling views and, and extremist views. But when it comes to people like Peter Bogosian, who are saying that Nazis are not Nazis, or Bill Maher saying that... Um, 
you know, can you just stop it with this white guilt and white shame and stop hating on white people and white guys? And, you know, Dennis Prager whining openly about how they've made it impossible to be able to say the N-word. Um, is that recognizable uh, to everyone as white extremism? I don't think it is. You know, and that's what worries me. So this Peter Bogosian take that I was going to talk about is it's uh, specific to the virus. And he, he tweets, if a Manhattan project was underway to develop a vaccine that decreases the number of deaths from a global pandemic, how important is it? The researchers are diverse in sexual orientation, disability status, and racial self-identification. Would you be willing to delay the development of a vaccine by a year? You're unsure of the number of deaths to have more diversity on the research team. Like, he's just making up shit in his head. Totally it's made up. It's a fear up. monger. It's and, really... And, and, and based on my experience, uh, you know, working with um, uh, non-native English speakers at Stanford who were, were, like, scientific grad students and postdocs, I mean, you're going to have a lot of diversity on, on a Manhattan project today anyway. Like, it's just it, going to happen. It's really disgusting just exploiting the fears over coronavirus, which yes. are totally legitimate, and trying to use that to push this, uh, you know, like we're we've gone crazy with diversity narrative. I mean, just it's it, it's so it's so random, and it just shows that he is willing to really bullshit with pr practically any example he can in order to just get retweets and 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 more clout within his community i mean i i i, I just, once again i have to wonder when people tweet like that because because he's not maybe he's an idiot in in certain regards he's a professor but yeah he's a professor <laughs> he has he has is a certain type of intelligence and it's so hard for me it's it's like it boggles my mind to think that someone can preconceive that and and tweet it out and not know okay this is this is some hot garbage right here but i'm going to tweet it anyway because it, it like it just is he so it's skewed that he genuinely thinks that or is he just i, I mean there's no way for us to know because we can't creep into his mind but i just often Thankfully. i i <laughs> i often just i i'm left wondering if these people where where they're actually coming from you know i call i call these dudes uh, rationaler than thou and they love their gotcha thought experiments <laughs> right i mean that's what this is all about you know, it's a it's a gotcha thought experiment. It's mm -hmm. not one that's done in good faith. No. And the irony is that uh, the Canadian research team from Toronto that has isolated the COVID-19 virus uh, over here is pretty diverse. There's a brown hey. guy, a woman, and, you know, it just happened that way. Can they just stop fear-mongering about diversity and just let things happen like it basically it, you know if we after we've taken some steps to level the playing field like fields diversify who knew and it's hmm. wider perspectives you know better knowledge when you have all sorts of people a bigger pool of information from all over right 
It just makes sense. I, I think that that example that you gave, I mean, that tweet is just, it, it's a really good thing to discuss because it's so overreactive. I mean, obviously it's not a problem. It's not a problem in, in it. Like he, he is trying to sell this, this narrative so hard that he is trying to trick people into thinking that we are not getting progress with the coronavirus because of SJWs. You know, yes, and, ridiculous. and and it's it's just it, it's insane. It's just like I no matter how, you know, a second ago I was trying to discern what like where it's coming from. I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because it's just it's it's so fucked either either way. If, if he like is knowingly like just being kind of a, a puppeteer and and and, and uh, like, like knowingly just trying to push buttons, or if he genuinely thinks it, it, it it's still like it has the the same effect, and and people will read that and will be like, yeah, uh, diversity is 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 going to literally kill us. It's, <laughs> it's insane. I feel like he just doesn't know how stupid he looks because he's blinded by his own fears. Similarly with Sam Harris, when he talks about white nationalism not being a big problem and it's just, you know, white terrorism is just LOL trolling and it's not really an ideology, whereas Islamic terrorism, oh yeah, yeah, it's a really big problem, even though Islam isn't really in power in the U.S. and white nationalism is in the White House. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, up, punching down. So a different. smart person would see how foolish they look saying these kinds of things, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel that you can just smell their fear in these kinds of takes. And that's why they're not seeing clearly and they're not seeing how ridiculous these takes are. Yeah, I feel like they're taking advantage of people who really are just afraid. I mean, uh, I've seen the research on it. I think there was a direct correlation between people who are afraid of ideologies versus people who are not afraid because they know someone in that particular ideology. I have a friend. and so, you know, most people in this country when surveyed said that they don't know any Muslims. And that's probably not true because, you know, if you go to a hospital, a lot of doctors are Muslims or, you know, a lot of taxi drivers are Muslim, X, Y, Z. But Maybe they're saying you know, that they don't know, know them. Exactly. Yeah. So that makes them way more likely statistically to be afraid of Muslims because they just don't know about it. And so being Muslim is itself newsworthy. I'm a person who works like in the media as scary as that sounds uh but you know we talk about news pegs and sometimes my job is easy because writing about muslims or being a muslim is always newsworthy because it's always subject of some kind of conversation and you know what what ends up happening is people who are not exposed to muslims are the ones who are reading about Muslims because it's coming up everywhere. And then you have people who are in the ex-Muslim community talking to people who are very anti-immigrant, agreeing about how Islam really is the problem. And how if you get rid of Islam, then how you, get you rid must of, destroy of all it. Of this violence, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and then they get into like genocidal talk, especially with like Ayanna Hirsi Ali talking about how Islam needs to be crushed militarily, whatever that means. Or, you know, uh, yes, me and talking about Muslims breeding and... Yeah, so they end up um, becoming like the monsters that they're afraid of. Because people like me, if I were to have a kid, I don't have any kids. But if I were to have a kid, 
someone in that circle would probably say, well, here is Amen going on civilizational jihad, not having a kid because he wants to be a father or, or loves his family and wants to grow it. Any of these reasons that people have kids, it's because I'm Muslim, I'm doing it to replace white people. You know, so with all of that kind of that, that just kind of being the climate that we're working in, you have people who are afraid of Muslims. And what they're doing is they're just online looking for more quote unquote truth about who this, I am. This kind of thinking, you know, it's another kind of fundamentalism. And uh, I'm a religion scholar and commentator. And um, I can see sometimes, you know, this, um, this kind of fundamentalist impulse is being played out in uh, among secular people and in secular spaces. And I think it's mm-hmm. really common, as you brought up, um, among ex-Muslims, but certainly it's also there among ex-Christians too. And I mean, my kind of working psychological definition of fundamentalism, and there's a number of ways you can define it, I mean, sociologically, um, ideologically, but psychologically, I think really it's a misdirected response to trauma that usually is perpetuated uh, communally and then also generationally if no one breaks the cycle. Uh, you look at a lot of adult converts to extremist ideologies, um, including more extreme, more fundamentalist versions of religion. And they usually come into those things out of some place of great vulnerability, out of some personal trauma, you know, and then fundamentalism gives them a way to feel like they have all the answers to everything without mm-hmm. having to do a lot of really hard, shitty work and face all the pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, oftentimes you think you've escaped fundamentalism, but you kind of just bring it into your, you know, quote unquote atheism and start doing crazy ass shit like uh comparing judaism to nazism and saying judaism is worse than nazism and more people have been tortured due to the this barbaric doctrine than have been tortured by nazis and just i i just my head hurts yeah, and, and I, I can't tell you this. how many conversations I have with people who, right away when they learn I'm Muslim, they just go into those kinds of sound bites, you know, where they say, well, you, you guys have been at war for the last thousands, whatever years. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Who told you that? Well, people's like, uh, perception of Muslims is so one-dimensional, right? And this is why representation matters and where white privilege again comes in when they can say oh it doesn't and of course there are people of color who also buy into this that you're doing diversity for diversity's sake and uh you know sjw's are going overboard with this stuff but and gee it's not like christians have been at war and committing lots of violence since uh <laughs> that's the right that's century, right, right? <laughs> the two world wars man. christians war. have been doing it longer than muslims yeah but that's like besides the point is the the, the fact that there's like this entire media uh, opposition to Muslims that just exists in left wing, right wing. It's not politicized. Yeah, yeah no, sorry. Uh, I don't mean to like diminish that at all. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's just like the point I'm trying to make is that, especially when we're talking about privilege, just to like, you know, make it feel like all full circle and nice and neat and a bow. Uh, but, you know, it's really hard to describe that world to someone who's never had to experience it it's really hard to and even if they were to visit a non-white country they're still not going to experience that 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 experience it in the same way of having to live in this country where people are actively funding this media giant 
its whole purpose is to scare people about you being their neighbor. Oh, so sure. they're more likely and, to vote a particular way. And that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, when, when white people go to live in non-white countries, they're expats, right? And they get, like, the red carpet treatment, more or less. Um, yeah. You know, maybe, like, hashtag... Hashtag not all like not in all cases, but you know I've spent some time living in Russia. I've I've seen some really shitty expats, and I mean there are some white men working in the oil industry or or whatever um, going who go to Russia because like awesome you can be racist and sexist here and it's okay like that's really their motivation. <laughs> I, just, I, I don't expect the Bill Maher types and the the Harris types to understand what it's like to live as a minority in this country. What would be nice is if they were as free thinking as they thought they were. Mm, so then they would mm. maybe question when, themselves when they when they get down that line. That'd be nice. It would be nice. Or if they cared uh, as consistently about free speech as they claim that they do. Mm. And that's another aspect of privilege. I mean, it really discourages self-reflection, right? Or when you're operating within a privileged system, you're socialized to uh, not engage in certain types of self-reflection and also to be, uh, you know, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not just avoidance, but, um, you know, very, very wary of certain types of open Mm -hmm. conflict. Yeah. And I mean, I I think it's important that we engage with this topic. Like the stakes are getting higher for people like me. I'm a person of color. I'm not Muslim, but uh i'm i am muslim for all purposes for a lot of people you know what i mean my name my passport my place of birth my history living in saudi arabia yeah a a judge when you're being arraigned will not be asking you whether or not you eat pork right exactly they won't be like oh do do you have you know do you drink (laughs) you're not you're not muslim that's fine no they're gonna look at you and judge you on the surface right so um yeah, the stakes are getting higher, and I don't think that the people who are so scared about white men being judged understand the fear of being a minority in this kind of climate. Yeah, um, in terms of engaging with with that dialogue, I mean, I don't begrudge people who handle it in a different way than this, but I, I think uh, you, like being someone who reads your your Twitter uh, very often. I, I think you engage in a way that I think is helpful and uh, both but both helpful and and kind of sub- subdues the possibility of of people um, I don't know, just uh, mis misreading it like like basically you you turn everything into a joke, but you make but but through those jokes you you make very uh, great points. <laughs> and I just I just think that most of the time, not not always, there is a time for for people to just voice genuine, direct. Uh, I don't want to use the term outrage because that's a bit charged, but just just to kind of really call out how horrible something is with it without an element of of comedy to it. But I just think that by adding comedy to things, you're showing that you're taking the problem seriously but mm-hmm. you're not allowing it 
to really rattle you and and because because again people want to create this narrative so hard that that and they and they love to see people who are getting quote unquote triggered and mm-hmm. stuff like that so i just think it, the yes we absolutely have to engage with these things but most of the time, it's helpful if you can inject a bit of, of humor to it. People are yeah. more likely La- to and laugh at those people too because yeah. they are so fragile, and then their fragility yeah. will show. Yeah. You know, so when I get um, you know nasty trolls being racist or sexist or whatever in my mentions, um, if I'm in an ordinary mood, I mean, I'm just going to mock them round. Yeah, before I it walk. really kind of defangs them when you don't engage with them as as seriously as they want you to and don't get upset. So yeah, definitely comedy is a useful tool and you can make real points while kidding around as well. And this reminds me your comment about fragility. There was this tweet about uh, someone took a photo in a bookstore about this book called, I think it was called white fragility and someone had a very angry post-it note on it and just kind (laughs) of demonstrated the concept of white fragility right there, like how they were really pissed that this book is a piece of shit because it's called white fragility. It was really funny. It's like the Ben Fold song, Rock in the Suburbs. You better look out because I'm going to say fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I I have a friend who teaches at NYU, and she actually, one of her uh, specialties is the concept of white fragility. And she was on, um, I don't want to name her because she had all this fallout, but she was on a Fox News show. I'll say that. And and then simultaneously, you know how... Uh, Why would you do that? To, 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 <laughs> I know, I know. She she deeply regretted it. But uh, the same exact month that she did uh, Fox News, she was um, named on. You know, Turning Points USA has this like professor watch list. Oh that yeah, they, that, so they, that they print free speech heroes that they are. Yeah. So they. So, so she had this weird thing where she was one month she was simultaneously the featured person on the Turning Points USA website went on to Fox news to discuss white fragility and then for some reason the turning points usa website just kept her as the the featured professor for like six months like they didn't update it you know and she 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 had to shut down all of her social media that's Um, awful she Uh. she 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 started like i I will not even uh, like begin to describe some of these discussions Disgusting! Uh, like a lot, it's a lot. A lot of these lunatics will find your, your your email. She she is um, she's Jewish, and I think that she's oh, like half half white and half um, like I, I think she has some Middle Eastern blood. Oh, uh, so she's but, gonna get you know she's yeah, gonna she, get hate she, based she look, on that she, she too. Looks, she looks like a, a a white person, but like like even though that she has um, you know the, the kind of mixed ancestry, but. Yeah. Again, it's it's another situation where, you know, it, it's so ironic. She's going on to talk about white fragility, and and she inspires the ire of all of these fragile white people who can't, you know, stomach the fact that they, I mean, they can, yeah, they they look at her as this incredibly racist woman against her own, which which in I think is absurd when people think that. But I mean, I guess it can't. People can't have internalized racism, but, but a lot of the time, I mean, these these people who are uh, accused of being anti-white, who are white, 
they're not. And I, I, I don't know. I guess that's all I have to say about that. Some closing thoughts. Whiteness isn't a replacement for white people. It's not really something that anyone's saying is, you know, genetically wrong with white people in particular. It's basically, in my understanding, the majoritarian mindset, which you can discuss, you know, in other contexts as well. And um, as minorities, we're screwed often by the right um, and racism coming from there. But then you have, like, outlets that are considered woke and left like say bbc they're doing shows like i saw this thing on twitter where there's like a casting call for a show where do you identify as being white do you feel like you can't talk about it why a new series for the bbc is exploring what it means to be white in modern britain we are looking for people to come together in a leading social experiment to discuss race nationality and identity uh you know and like Like, that sounds like but you know, maybe there could be like a kernel of something valuable there if you did it the right way, but it sounds like the yes. invitation is going to be shit. You just have to be very careful <laughs> when you're doing this art, white's victimized it's narrative. like the Sam Harris thing where he called it forbidden fruit or forbidden knowledge. Yeah. Oh, God. The race and IQ conversation. Yeah, or it's, it's like... Conversa- <laughs> part of the appeal is like the Howard Stern effect where it's like we're not supposed to be talking about this. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you guys all for coming on and uh, giving me about two hours of your time. I think it's been a fantastic discussion. We've covered tons of things. Um, is there any closing thoughts that you guys had that you wanted to share before we wrap up? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just always a pleasure to be on with you. And this was a great panel. So thanks for organizing it. Thank you. It's always Likewise. a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, it was lovely chatting with you, Eamon. It's the first time we've talked, but it was uh, great to have you on. Yeah, nice yeah, to virtually meet you, Eamon and Vadim. Likewise, yeah. It was fun talking. Vadim, hopefully we didn't bully you too much. I am going to just, um, g- g- after this, gonna go, right go, go, go on my bed into, into a fetal position and, and, <laughs> and cry. Um, but no, no, I, I, uh, I, I definitely enjoyed it. And I, um, you know, I, I hope I... Uh, was was able to provide a little bit of insight into and you know from from my point of view I the fascinating mind of the white male yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you've been listening to this episode and you find yourself feeling a little bit sensitive about what we've been talking about a little bit defensive just think back to when I said listen I have nothing against white people some of my best friends are white <laughs> and if that doesn't satisfy you guys, um, just think back to when Sam Harris complains about why that's not a sufficient um, excuse for not being racist when you say some of my best friends are black. Um, yeah. As I said, I comment mostly, you know, on religion and stuff related to that. But of course, there's a lot of intersection with race there. So I do want to put in just one more little plug for my recently released co-edited anthology of personal essays by former conservative Christians, Empty the Pews, Stories of Leaving the Church. Uh, Because we do look at some of these some of these same things. We've got a very diverse collection of authors, but all sort of through the the lens of experiencing and leaving various kinds of toxic Christianity. Okay, awesome. Everyone check that out. 
And if you enjoy the show as usual, please consider supporting via patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. Without you, this show is not possible. And uh, I think I'm going to close off with a clip from Daily Wire when they complained about uh, how attacks on white people are now more racist than Jim Crow era racism. Jesus wow. Christ. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to play that and that'll be the end of the show. Wow. <laughs> All right. Because they have teamed up to attack the white man. Yeah. And one of the things that's happening in reaction to that is that this sort of white identity politics thing is starting to form. And it's a very dangerous it will, thing. It, it, uh, forgive me, I just want to no. say, I have actually thought about writing about, about that in, in this way. Yes, whites have done all these terrible things, but I'd like you to just know all the uniquely great things that yeah. they did. <laughs> I would be called a white supremacist. <laughs> right, that's right. You so you can, you can only attack whites. You yeah. cannot defend whites. You know, it's interesting... <laughs> They, uh, obviously this white identity movement, which is very, very small, I don't think it's really happening on a large scale, but it's a reaction to leftist racial identity politics. And they say, wait a second, you keep condemning us, you keep saying that we are an identity group, so maybe we should take you at your word, leftists. Well, what's interesting is a lot of the leaders of it, you can look at them, a lot of them grew up in foreign countries. So they grew up in places where they didn't look like the people, and which, which I think fosters a, a separate identity. Obviously in America, that's just, that has not been the yeah. uh, the custom, but it, I think it is happening in response to a left, which is which has become hysterical about racial identity politics. Oh, it's the most racist philosophy I can remember in my in my lifetime. Like I remember the real anti-black racism in the South a little bit, yeah. but this stuff about whiteness isn't. Yes, it's disgusting. Wow! <laughs> and that's our panel. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. Hello? Hello? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, did anyone else uh, have, a, have a dropout? I was totally out of the conversation for the last, oh. like, 30 seconds. Nope, I got it all. Okay. All right. Well, so you you can continue. I I apologize for the whatever just happened. Do you uh, hear me now? I don't want to derail the. Con- yeah, I hear you just fine. Um, okay. uh, like it it said that the connection was lost. Sorry, I don't want to derail the conversation by because of because of this. Um, <laughs> of course, of course, the cis het white male is gonna make this all about him and try to derail uh, the conversation. Okay, you have to yeah, include this at uh, least in like a blooper cut at the end. Yeah, maybe I will for like you, a Patreon or something. I, I know you edit these a little bit. Do you want to reiterate uh, what you were saying? So, so yeah, so ba- it, or, basically I was just you just reading. don't care because I'm white. And it's okay. <laughs> yes, Vadim, so, just shut up and sit there and like not alarm. <laughs>